thinking about addressing uh, how it relates to things like depression and anxiety and even time management. So the idea with this series is to make those connections, to make those connections that Scripture really does so that we can understand how this works. So we believe that the good news of Christ is for every aspect of life. It's for all of life. And we spent time a few weeks ago as we started this series looking at 2 Peter chapter 1 and how, how he has given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. That we, as we encounter these Monday morning situations, we have what we need. So that's what we're doing in this series. Today I want to address a Monday morning situation that I think is probably the most important Monday morning issue. But it doesn't usually feel that way. There are a lot of other Monday morning issues that press for our attention. A, a recent Gallup poll showed that the three most important issues people think are fi- uh, that are facing our country are unemployment, the economy, and the federal deficit. And maybe for you, that's your Monday morning issue. Maybe on Monday morning you're thinking about these three things. But, but probably more likely you're thinking about things a little closer to home on Monday morning as you wake up, as you drive to work or school, wherever it might be. Maybe it's the traffic or the bills. Maybe it's a fight you had with your spouse last night or a family member. Or maybe things are going great and you're just thinking, hey, it's a beautiful fall day, just enjoying the weather. Most Monday mornings, we are not thinking about really the most important Monday morning topic, at least as far as the scriptures present, and I would say because of that, indeed, the most important topic. That is the reality of God, the, who God is, and in particular, the issue of what the scripture calls the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And I would submit, and I hope through this time to convince you that the most important Monday morning topic is actually the righteousness of God. Now, how many people have thought about the righteousness of God on Monday morning when you have woken up? I don't think many of us do. Thinking about the righteousness of God on a Monday morning is kind of like asking a high school senior on the way to his prom to think about saving money for his retirement. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It doesn't feel very important. It doesn't feel very close at hand. And this topic can sometimes not feel that important. But the scriptures call us to this important issue. The scripture calls us to consider this, this as really the most important Monday morning issue. How do I know that? Well, I could look at a lot of places. I could lead you to a lot of places in scripture. But what I want to do this morning is take you to one of the most important theological and philosophical books in the whole world, the book of Romans. And I want to take you to the beginning of the book of Romans to only two verses. These two verses are uh, the summary verses for the entire book. Bible commentators and theologians would, would pretty much agree that these two verses sum up the theme of this entire book. Now, this is the most important, or one of the most important books on theology and philosophy in the world. And these two verses summarize, in some ways, what this b- most important book is about. And I think you'll see that these two verses are ultimately about this topic, the righteousness of God. What I hope to do through this is to understand what it's talking about and apply that and and motivate us to to live on Monday morning in light of this truth. So let's pray as we prepare to read God's word and talk about it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that though we may have other things on a Monday morning that we think about, we feel like are most important, there is a more important issue 
that you want us to think about, and you care enough about us and your great mercy and love to have put this in your word and to have put it in a prominent place in your word so that we might consider this most important topic and we may understand just how much it applies to our life even on Monday morning. So we pray you'd help us open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, O God, to hear from you and to be changed in this Sunday morning truth and in our Monday morning reality, we pray. Amen. Amen. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul is summarizing and really leading into what he's going to say in this entire book, and he's hitting on these key topics. He's actually told the Romans that he's eager to preach the gospel, to bring the good news of Christ to them, and then he gives this explanation for, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Why is Paul, uh, who has faced great persecution, many reasons to, to hide the gospel, to not be forthright perhaps? Why is he not ashamed? Because there's something greater than his fears. There's the gospel in it and the power of God that it brings for salvation. He's not ashamed because the power of, it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God to accomplish God's rescuing plan of his people to everyone who believes. Well, how does it do this? How is it the power of God for salvation? He says, well, verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So at the core of the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God from faith for faith. So what I'm submitting to you is that the most important topic to consider is the righteousness of God. The most important topic in Romans, and, and I, I'm planning to take you on a guided journey through Romans to look at this topic of the righteousness of God and see just why it would be considered the most important topic. But first, some questions, some thoughts. What is this thing, the righteousness of God? It's not a word we use a lot. It, that's part of why it, it feels foreign. It probably would have been closer to home for a devout Jew like Paul talking about the righteousness of God. But, but in our culture, our society, it's not something we think about. So what does it mean, righteousness of God? Well, generally speaking, righteousness speaks of goodness or rightness or justness. So the righteousness of God speaks about the goodness, the glory, the rightness, the justness of God. For years, this was understood by the medieval church to teach that it was the goodness of God, the justice of God, and the punishment of sin. That was how they would have understood verse 17 in this phrase, the righteousness of God. And if you know the story of Martin Luther, you know as, as a man well-trained in medieval theology and biblical scholarship, a devout Augustinian monk, he struggled with this verse. He struggled with this idea of the righteousness of God because for him, it spoke of God's judgment of sin. And he said, I, I hated that word, righteousness of God, which I have been taught to understand is the righteousness whereby God punishes the unrighteous sinner. And if you know his life story, he, became a, uh, he, he gave up a promising career as a lawyer, a prominent lawyer, and he became a monk, an Augustinian monk. And, um, and 
he was trained and he went to do his first mass. And he understood this term, this way about God punishing sin. And, and when he came to a certain part in the mass where he would say, we offer unto you the living, the true, the eternal God, he says he was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken and his hands trembled as he thought about actually being there in the presence of God and, and in his theology holding God in his hands. He trembled. He could barely get through his first mass. He was so affected by this understanding that the righteousness of God is the punishment of God for sin, and, and he knew he was a sinner. And so he feared God in that moment. Is that what this is? Is that what this means, the righteousness of God? Is it about God punishing sinners? That's what some would understand. Others would say, well, the righteousness of God is, is his faithfulness to accomplish his promises. So the righteousness of God, sometimes it's called covenantal faithfulness. It's just his faithfulness to do what he has said. Others would say it's the righteousness of God by which he credits righteousness to his people through faith. That's what it is. It's, it's about crediting. It's about counting people who believe in Christ. Righteous. There's different things that are out there for the idea of what this is. Well, how do we know? What's a good way to figure out what the scriptures teach? Always a good thing just to look at the context, look at the scriptures themselves, look around where the verse is. So take a look with me, if you have your Bible, uh, in verse 18 of chapter 1. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Paul goes and says that the righteousness of God is revealed, and then he says the wrath of God is revealed, and he goes on into a weighty discussion, a weighty description of the sad state of humanity. To summarize what he says over the next chapter or, or two or three, it's this, that God has in his goodness and greatness displayed his glory in creation. He's shown his character and his power just in how things are made, just in the wonder of the universe, the stars of the sky, the, the trees and, and, and creation. He's displayed himself. He's shown his glory in a, in a convincing way, in an undeniable way. Yet mankind in their fallen state has actively opposed the glory of God, has actively said, basically, I don't want to know the Creator I want to exchange living for him and enjoying him for other things. That mankind, that you and I, individually and as cultures, we've exchanged the glory of God for other things. It's similar to, or maybe a picture is that God has created this amazing theme park uh, in which we live. And it's just an incredible theme park full of rides and, and wonderful things to enjoy. And he's made this theme park, and he's created it and put us in it so that we would enjoy the, the roller coasters and the bumper cars. And, and uh, I don't know if you can enjoy teacup rides. I get sick on teacup rides. But, but he's made all these things for us. He's made all these things for us to enjoy so that we would know that there's a creator behind it. And we would perhaps turn to him and know him and love him and enjoy those things with him. That's kind of what creation is. But instead of recognizing that, instead of going to a theme park and realizing, you know, there's someone who's made this, there's someone behind this, we say, well, no, there's no God. These things just emerged out of the ground over time. Or, or maybe we think, well, there's actually different gods. There's the God of the roller coaster, and there's the God of the bumper cars, and the God of the teacups, and we need to worship all those different gods. That's essentially what we do in life. 
And it says that because of that, God is in his justice punishing, bringing the just penalty for that disposition and that activity, ignoring God, saying, I want it my own way. He brings the consequences of that in his goodness and in his justice. It's really insane behavior, and we're all guilty of it, every single one of us. It does not make sense when we look around at this glorious creation to turn from him. And we all do it in different ways. For some of us, uh, we do it in a blatant way. We just turn the other way and we run with, with everything we got into the things that, that are, we know are wrong. We perhaps get into drugs or sex or rebellion, theft, whatever it might be. For some of us, there, there's blatant sins that we just run away from God and, and, uh, and the ones that, that are obvious. And, and if you're from that background or in that place, I would say you, you know that. There's a degree of just knowing I know that I'm doing the wrong thing. But then there's another sort of rebellion that is harder to detect. It's the rebellion that says, I don't want it that way. I want it my way. I want to somehow make myself acceptable to God on my own terms. And so instead of blatant rebellion, there's the pursuit of religious uh, devotion where we set up a system of of getting to God in our own way. If I'm good enough, if I do X, Y, and Z, if I, if I do all the right things and don't do enough bad things, the God will have to kind of weigh in the balance and say, hey, the good outweighs the bad, therefore he'll accept me. But you know what? That's not how God does it. That's in opposition to the Scriptures. That's righteousness on our own terms, and it's rebellion. It maybe looks better, maybe feels better, but it's just as much rebellion as the blatant person who runs the opposite direction. Who did Jesus reserve the harshest words for? Was it the prostitute? Was it the thief on the cross who had led a terrible life? No, it was the Pharisees who were the very best at religion because they had replaced God with a system to earn their righteousness before God and to be able to somehow, in their mind, have leverage against God. God, I've done this, therefore you owe me. If you read through Romans 1 and 2 and 3, you'll see that Paul brings it to both the blatantly sinful, and the religiously rebellious. And we all fit in those categories as well. We have this, this behavior, this pattern, too, of, of trying to make ourselves feel better with what we do. We always love to find somebody that's worse than us to point to. Well, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm no Hitler, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better. We love to do that. And, and it's kind of like... If you picture that we are all uh, made by God and, and, and before the fall, you know, as humanity, we are this glass of pure spring water, pure, refreshing, uh, perfect in every way. And sin comes into the world and we pursue sin. And that's like mud that gets thrown in that glass. And some of us, our glass is almost all full of nasty, stinky mud. There's only a little bit of water mixed in there. And we know it and others do too. They can smell it from a mile away. Some of us, though, there's only a taint. There's only a little bit of dirt in there. And, but it's not pure water. It's dirty water. I mean, would you drink spring water with a little bit of stinky, stagnant mud in it, even if it's just a little bit? But we love to say, if we're that glass with only a little bit, look at the stinky glass. Look at the dirty glass. I'm doing much better. But the reality is, no matter what glass we might be, none of us are fit to drink. 
And that's God's standard. God's holy. He's good. He can't sweep those things under the rug. He must be just. He must deal with that. He must deal with those sinful choices, that reality. And so Scripture talks about this. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall, shorty of the, fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Death is separation from God. And God will and does bring consequences for our rebellion against him, from running from him, whether it's a religious rebellion or open rebellion. The wages of sin is death. Death, spiritual death is to be separated from God. And nobody, nobody wants to be in that place. All the good things we know and enjoy come as gifts from God. And when God withdraws His presence, you just do not have that blessing. We presume on His presence. We presume on His blessing. And this world is full of His blessing. But if we persist in sin and rebellion and self-righteousness, He will abandon us to our choices. So yes, to some degree, the righteousness of God is about God dealing with sin. Romans 1 to 3 convinces us of that. And we can be very good at ignoring this Monday morning reality. And it's not comfortable for me, and I in no way enjoy telling you this. And I'm not going to finish here to leave you on Monday morning to merely think about God's punishment of sin. Not a very pleasant Monday morning reality. And we don't like to hear about it. We don't like to consider it. We like to invent ways to get around it other than the way the Scripture gives us. A.W. Tozer has said, the vague and tenuous hope, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate, a deadly drug for the consciences of millions. We presume on God's character. We think he's just too kind He'll find a way for us. And it becomes an opiate. And we go about life thinking we're okay. It reminds me of the Silver Bridge, a bridge going across the Ohio River between West Virginia and Ohio. And, and it was a bridge everyone thought was fine. I think we have a picture of the Silver Bridge uh, there. It was a bridge everyone thought was fine and, and was in perfect condition. And then one day, December 15th, 1967, while it was packed full of traffic, the bridge collapsed. 45 people were killed. Analysis showed that the bridge actually was in terrible condition. And actually, this bridge, and in some other incidences, uh, is what got the, the bridge inspection program going that we now have. But they thought it was fine. It looked fine. It was painted silver. Silver's good. It's clean. There's no problems. It looked all right. Everyone presumed it was fine until one day the corrosion that was hidden had its way and it collapsed. You and I, left to ourselves, are like that silver bridge. Things may look good, but if we're operating our lives apart from God, eventually there'll be a collapse. Question I have for you this morning, are you in danger of collapse? Are you in danger of being judged by God in his goodness and holiness? Thinking everything's okay. Well, thankfully, there's more to the book of Romans than just this truth. There's more to it than just the fact that the righteousness of God is about his punishment of sin. There's much more. There's a righteousness of God that's revealed in the book of Romans, that's revealed in the scriptures, that actually, actually rescues us from this predicament. It saves us from collapse. It intervenes in our lives and offers a rescue, a, a wonderful rescue. 
Listen to what Romans 3, 21 to 26 says. You can turn there if you have your Bible. It says, for all have sinned. We read this earlier. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That word justified is a word that means righteousness-fied. Uh, it's, it's understood maybe different than righteous in our language, but righteous and just in the scriptures are the same word. And so when it says justified, it means righteous-fied. And in particular, it means declared by God, declared righteous or declared just. And so it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Grace is a gift. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And I'll explain that in a minute. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that's his kindness we talked about, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just or righteous, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is righteous in every way, does the religious duty, no, that he might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This righteousness of God is the most important righteousness for us to consider, and that is the righteousness of God with Jesus at the center. Ultimately, the righteousness of God is displayed and in a person, in Jesus, the God-man. 1 Corinthians 1 says it is because of him, Jesus, actually God, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. The righteousness of God is not merely an idea or an action, but it is a person. It's a person. His name is Jesus. He's no average person. He is the God-man, Jesus. He is the apex of the righteousness of God. He is, he is the core of the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation, the truth about Jesus, who is righteousness. He is our righteousness. He is God's righteousness on display. He is righteousness incarnate. And in him, God works out all the implications of his righteous character. In him is provision for our righteousness before God. It is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the fulfillment of God's faithfulness. And in and through him, he conforms his people even to his righteousness. Righteousness is summed up in Jesus Christ himself. And that's what the book of Romans teaches us. Romans 1 to 3 speak of the, God's righteousness and judgment that it might deliver us to the rest of the book of Romans so that we see that there is a Savior who comes who is the righteousness of God incarnate and put our hope in him. That verse in Romans 3 explains how that works. You see, God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's a very uncommon word, a propitiation. It's a very precise word. That's why it remains in our English Bible, because it's narrow in what it means. It means this. It means a propitiation is an offering given to appease justice or an offering given to appease wrath. And in particular with God, it's a holy, just wrath. It's an offering put forward. See, God is just in his righteousness. But God in his righteousness also loves his people so much, infinitely. 
that he's put forward his son, that actually the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together came up with this plan by which the righteousness of God would be satisfied and provision would be made for his people. So propitiation is Jesus being put forward as a sacrifice on the cross to pay for sins. He went to the cross to bear the justice of God for sin. Sin is a cosmic, blatant crime. To go to that amusement park, that theme park, and to live there day by day in denial of the Creator, and even to aggressively oppose Him and run the other way and undermine Him and perhaps blaspheme Him is a cosmic crime. And God would not be just if He didn't deal with it. He deals with it in Christ, ultimately. The justice of God is, is seen ultimately, most completely, most fully in His wrath on His Son on the cross. The righteousness of God is not even seen in punishing sinners as much as it is in seen in punishing His very own Son. That is the place where He demonstrates His holy justice, the degree of His holy justice and righteousness, and where He provides for that righteousness for all of those who flee to Jesus. And there's more to the story, too. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And that was God's declaration saying that, that His sacrifice, His righteous life, His life of love for the Father and love for others, His perfect life offered up on that cross to pay for sinners was, was completely satisfactory. It fulfilled the righteousness of God. And so God raised Him on the third day saying, He has satisfied my justice. He has made full provision for my people. He is the fullness of righteousness, the righteousness of God. And He is Believer, your righteousness raised from the dead. And for all those who trust in him, put their faith in him. That's the final part of this verse, verse 17. It says that it is in the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God from faith for faith. This righteousness of God in Christ is revealed and it's from faith for faith. Paul is citing there uh, a quotation from the book of Habakkuk that speaks about faith, where it says the, righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. This is a righteousness that fulfills God's righteousness, Jesus Christ, his death, his life, death, and resurrection. And it's there, it's done. He pays for sins. He rises from the dead. But that's not all. And we can make a mistake, and I would make a mistake as a pastor if I didn't tell you there's more to it. There's something you're supposed to do. It really isn't something you're supposed to do. There, there is a work you're supposed to do, but it's not a work. It's an unwork. It's the opposite of work. It's faith. It's saying, I believe. It's saying, I understand that I need a Savior like this. I understand left to myself, I have no hope before God. As good as I might feel on any given day, compared to His holiness, in light of my rebellion, in light of my self-righteousness, whatever your sin or sins might be, it's recognizing I have no hope in myself. It's faith. Faith is just putting your trust from yourself and your own actions, or your own life, and putting it in Jesus. And there's always a turning with faith because when you are oriented towards yourself, 
perhaps your sin or just your self-sufficiency. Um, you're, you're pointed that way. Your faith is in yourself. So when you turn to Jesus, you are turning away from self and sin. That's what we call repentance. They go together. Repentance and faith are automatically intertwined. And this righteousness of God is put on display for us in the book of Romans and in the scriptures and in the wonderful gospels that display Jesus' life and death and resurrection so that we might respond in faith. It's from faith for faith. And that's speaking of the the reality that it starts with faith and continues with faith. The Christian's life is to be a life of constant faith, constantly trusting in Christ, his death and resurrection, and living in light of that, knowing we're forgiven, celebrating that forgiveness, living out the implications of that forgiveness in a holy life empowered by God, not of our own strength, but of the power of the gospel. It's from faith for faith. And when we believe in him, we are counted righteous. That's amazing. When we put our faith in Christ, when we, when we stop trusting in self and sin, and put our faith in the righteousness of God, we are so connected with Jesus that the, that the Lord looks at us and says, this one I count righteous. No longer a, a glass of water that's tainted and dirty. That's not how I think of this one. I think of this one like Jesus, a pristine and refreshing and perfect glass of water. And that's how I regard this one now, through faith in Jesus. That's what we're called to, to put our faith in Christ, and that's how we're counted in Christ. Righteous, forgiven, beloved. My daughter Mary is uh, taking pre-calculus. Mary, I hope you don't mind me telling this story. Um, Yeah. Well, it makes her look good, so I don't think she'll mind. But she is a, go- a great student uh, taking pre-calculus, and, and she'll come and ask me for help at times. And um, I took pre-calculus years ago. Actually, I hated pre-calculus, and my pre-calculus teacher hated me <laughs> pretty much. I don't know. It seemed like that. I can, t- I can substantiate that. I'll do that later. But anyhow, I didn't like pre-calculus, uh, but I, uh, later on in life, I, Christ changed my life. And, uh, and I'd like to tell you that he made me able to like pre-calculus, but that never happened. But I learned to use pre-calculus. I learned to use math. I was a research engineer, so I enjoyed math for what I could do. I never liked it. But anyhow, I know pre-calculus, bottom line. And so Mary asked me for help on pre-calculus on, on a problem. So the other day, we were doing this problem. Um, it actually was an algebra problem. It was a, f- a third-degree polynomial we had to factor. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? All right. Well, that's really impressive. <laughs> so it was a solution by, by grouping. And so, but I didn't remember enough, and so we got on, actually got on YouTube is what we ended up doing. That's pretty cool what you can find on YouTube. And there was a guy doing solution by grouping. And so we did it, and, uh, and so Mary went into school, and, uh, and she was the only student, from what I understand, who got that one right. And, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> And she made the mistake of maybe telling them that her dad helped her. Um, and so they started teasing her, I guess, when I understand, that your dad does all your work for you, you know, and that you, get, that you text your dad when you're doing homework testing, too. I don't know if they were teasing that you did that in tests. Uh, and and I, we don't do that, just in case you're concerned. Uh, but, but think about it. If you had someone you could tap into on your math test, whatever it would be, and you knew that through tapping into them, you would get an A+. Plus on that test. That would be great. Now, it would be unethical in Mary's case, but, but, but it would be great. 
That's essentially how it works with Jesus. He, in his wonderful grace and kindness, has taken the test and passed it. And not only that, not only has he taken the test and passed it, but he has taken on himself your failed test and all the consequences of that failed test and paid for that on the cross. And he says, here it is, I offer it to you. I offer you the righteousness of God. I offer you forgiveness. And all you need to do is turn from self and sin and receive the offer. And you will be considered an A-plus student, forgiven and received by God. That's what this verse means. That's what the righteousness of God is about. And when you get this, it changes everything. It changes your Monday morning. No longer is Monday morning to be something that depresses us. There may be challenges. There may be great difficulties in your life. I don't mean to dismiss those. But there's a greater reality that overpowers that. The righteousness of God is now yours in Christ. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are set. The test has been taken and passed. It's yours. You're done. You've graduated in Jesus. And now on Monday mornings, you can rely on him. You can rest on him. You can know that the promises of God are for you. He is for you. He is with you. He is in your, your circumstances and situations. He will guide you. He will hold you. He will meet your needs. And, and when you're all done, when your life is through, you will go to be with him. And believing and living in that reality actually changes who you are and how you do life. As you live by faith, not only does it give you rest and refreshment, it gives you power to become more and more like him. The power to become like Jesus does not rest primarily in self-effort. Yes, there is self-effort to hold on to Jesus, but it rests primarily, actually entirely, because it's the force and power behind it, in Christ, your righteousness. And when you hold on to him, he meets you and grants you power to live out your Christian life. And so if you read through Romans, you'll see the latter part of Romans is about the righteousness of God in the believer's life, living out the implications of that righteousness from faith for faith. The band could come up as we close this morning. This is the book of Romans. This is the truth of the righteousness of God. This is the most important Monday morning issue will ever face. God wants us to know that. God wants us to live all the other Monday morning issues in light of this, the greatest one. And perhaps this morning for you, you recognize, you know what, I, I've been living around other things. The righteousness of God is not even something I've thought about or understood. Maybe today is the day for you just to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins or my self-righteousness, and I receive Christ as my righteousness. That would be a wonderful thing for you just to pray that, respond to the Lord, and I would love to talk with you about that. Maybe you've known this truth for a long time, but you've wandered off the track. And so Monday morning is more about what you have to do, what's on your agenda, or what's going wrong in your life. God wants to bring you back on track and have the center of your focus be the righteousness of God in Christ for you. God wants to meet you with this truth. He wants to fill your Monday morning with all the promises that come along with this, with all the, the truth and reality. He wants to shape you every day 
including Monday. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the book of Romans. We thank you for this truth of the righteousness of God. And all that's there, your righteousness in punishing sin and your holiness and goodness, and even more importantly, your righteousness in Jesus Christ, his righteous life given for us, his penalty, uh, payment for our sin's penalty, his resurrection. And now what that means for us, through faith, from faith to faith, we are counted righteous and made ever more like you, Jesus. Bless your people with this truth. Bless them now, Lord, and I pray tomorrow morning when we start our week, bring it to mind in the power of your spirit that we might live in this glorious truth for all of life, we pray. Amen.